think, mere mortals, think about what I am going to tell you today. Because I'm reviewing the book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Now, I'm going to do a book review of this and probably in the future, I'll either do an independent uh, extra bonus session with this or potentially something with Juan. But this book was a fantastic book and I'm just going to get that off right from the start. Now, it was published in 2011 and it's a pretty big book. It's about 500 pages. That is the accumulation of 40 years of psychological research by Daniel Kahneman as well as by Amos Tversky. Uh, he unfortunately died before, uh, I think, I believe in the 90s. So, he died before not only um, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize, which he would have shared with Amos, but also before this book was, was published. Um, that being said, he had a large part to play in the eventual uh, accumulation and, and knowledge of what is contained within the book. Now, this book was essentially a, a breakthrough, I think, in the into the mainstream consciousness of just how ridiculous the human brain can be. And it, it really did impact, uh, I, I think, a lot of people when it did come out. It was a bestseller. A lot of people knew about it and it is still being talked about to this day and referenced very often. I actually had heard of this book in so many, referenced in so many different podcasts that it was basically a must read for me. Now, there's a lot of themes in the book. I'm just going to condense it into the the main ones that I think uh, are related to this and are interesting to know about. So, the first one is the development of prospect theory in, to compete against utility theory. So, this is in the field of behavioral economics and essentially, there was this theory saying that in economics, people behave or agents behave in a certain manner to get the most utility, to get the most stuff, the most value out of things. But this ended up being not exactly true and there were a number of cases where it, you couldn't really understand what was happening because you were assuming that the agents were too rational, too too thinking of, of, of what they're actually doing. And so, Daniel and Amos came up with uh, essentially prospect theory, which was a different theory taking into account that humans have these inherent flaws in our thinking and it's many heuristics or I'd like to think of them as mental, rapid mental shortcuts, which would then lead us to take suboptimal decisions or suboptimal in the terms of expected value, for example. Now, some of these, I'll, I'll just quickly go over them and you probably would have heard some of these before and a lot of this is actually due to the research done by Daniel Kahneman and Amos. Now, anchoring is one of them. So, if uh, we've talked about this recently on Mere Mortals, which is if I anchor a question with certain phrases or something beforehand, I can get you to think about that as if you thought of it on your own. And he's got many examples in the book. One of these would be if you start uh, give a list of uh, students a list of words which are all related to old age and uh, old people's homes and things like that or versus a list of something that's more rapid, a business approach, a youthful endeavor, whatever it is. If you just get them to memorize these words and then have them walk down a hallway, it'll actually affect their, their action of walking down the hallway by, by being slower. Now, there's just one example and uh, there's, there's plenty of others which sort of confirm this, but I'll talk a little bit about the negatives of, of individual studies in, in, um, in my personal observations. Another one is loss aversion. We all pretty much know this, which is if you have a flip of a coin 
and you could win $1,000 or lose $1,000, uh, it, it hurts that much more to lose $1,000 and that in reality, to actually get that, that benefit, the, the benefit to negative right, you'd actually need to win about $2,000 versus losing $1,000. Framing is another one which is, uh, it's sort of similar to anchoring in a way, but it's, it's posing the question, it's, it's how I actually ask the question from you, I can elicit a, a certain response. So if I tell you about something in a negative manner, you'll tend to think of it in a negative manner. Whereas if I tell you something a bit, uh, in a positive manner, you'll think of it in a more positive manner. So this is, I guess the classic example would be something along the lines of there's a vaccine which could save um, 100 people, but it could potentially kill 10 people. Or it's a vaccine that can uh, not save 100 people, but potentially not kill 10 people or something along the lines of that, which is just, it depends how I frame the question to you using probabilities as well then it will change your your answer. Uh, another heuristic he uses is YCATI, which is an acronym for what you see is all there is. And humans have a real problem with not knowing there's, there's known unknowns. So there's things that we don't know about, but we know that we don't know about. And we don't really take that into a consideration into our our decision-making when we do things. And then there's also the unknown unknowns. So those are things that are unknown, they're unknowable, and we can't even conceptualize them, but they do play a part in our life. Now, all of this seems quite theoretical. However, when you're reading the book, he actually gives a lot more definitive examples of these, and it, it, it does tend to make a bit more sense. The other, I suppose, main thing that you can take out from the book, and it's worth just almost jumping to the conclusions because this is where he really nails it down. It's almost you have to you read the whole book to get to the conclusions where he really nails down what his whole prospect theory is about. And he's got three main concepts that come in a pair form or dichotomies. Number one is the system one versus system two. So this is the, I guess, the way we we can switch in and out of quick versus slow thinking or unconscious versus conscious thinking. So classic examples of this would be if I was going to go drink uh, from a, a from the tap water, I wouldn't need to think about, okay, I need to reach out my hand. I need to lift up the, the tap. I need, then need to bring my head to this level, open my mouth and put my mouth in the stream. Like, no, it's all just a subconscious, unconscious manner of going down, doing it, and then coming back up. But if I had a math problem of say, I need to divide 40 by 5.6, then multiply that by the square root of 13, I would have to really concentrate, think, go to a piece of paper, write stuff down to do that. And so he talks about how just how often the the brain will go into this unconscious mode of, of just doing things versus the mode where we actually have conscious critical thought directed at something. Econs versus humans is another big one. And this was, I, I think, one of the main differences between uh, prospect theory and utility theory, which is in utility theory, they had these agents which were known as econs and these were the ultra-rational uh, agents which would do things in a rational manner whereas we know that ra uh, humans aren't particularly rational. We do a lot of things. We have emotions. We do lots of different things. So econs versus humans, you can sort of think of it as rational versus irrational or even self-interested versus self-sabotaging in a way. 
there's just these different methods of of thinking and he goes into detail in the book about how humans are actually more on the side of the irrational than they are on the rational. The last one was experiencing self versus the remembering self. And this had a lot to do with his research into happiness and life satisfaction. And he was finding that essentially there's two different ways of thinking about it. There's the self that is in the moment, I'm at this level of happiness right now. But then there's also the self that will look back at the past week and take selective parts from that, which may not be representative of the whole past week. So, there's if you had the ability to have the experiencing self take a snippet every hour or so and accumulate that and then compare that with what the remembering self of that whole past week does, the remembering self tends to take out peak moments and also focus on negative things, which is why you can have someone who might look back in their past and say, you know what, I've, I've had a pretty crappy past, but then think, you know what, I'm actually kind of happy as well. So, there's these two different modes of thinking and he goes quite into depth about which one we sort of tend to fall into and fall out of as well. Now, my own personal observations, there's lots of one-off studies in this book and one of the problems with these is, well, if you've heard of the replication crisis, I didn't actually know this before the book, but I was absolutely not surprised on reading it afterwards that uh, a lot of the studies in this book suffer from what is known as the replication crisis, which is particularly with social, economical, and psychological findings from studies that they're not able to be replicated. And this is a lot to do with statistics. There's a lot to do with the inherent biases of the scientists actually doing the studies. But essentially, you can't really trust a lot of these. And I, I mentioned one just before, that one walking down the hallway, that could actually be a little bit bullshit and not actually true, but just true under the certain conditions that they had on that day. And then they use statistics to make it seem like that is a true thing that you can say, you know, write home, put it in the bank. This is true. Now, that's, that's a problem this book would, would really have to face. And if it not were for the fact that I viewed it as an aggregate of all these studies, I probably would be less inclined to say, take as much wisdom or value from this book as I actually have. So, my, my, my thought of, sort of thinking with reading this book is that you should view it as an aggregate. Every story that it has within is interesting, is potentially true, but a lot of them might not be as strong as, as a truth as you would think they are. But on a whole, I think it gets to some really deep points and that's why I focus pretty much just on the main concepts of the book and not talked about the individual studies that he goes into. So, I found that really compelling having those, just the vol the volume of it all seems to have a quality of its own. Uh, quantity has a quality all of its own. Now, humans are shockingly terrible at probabilities and looking at number one right here, even though I was pretty good at math in high school, I was absolutely shocking at probabilities. That was always what I found the worst and it still continues to this day. Thankfully, I don't really have to use probabilities much, but I think this is one of the things that humans would probably really, really get wrong is that we, we think we're really good at probabilities and understanding risk, especially in, in different contexts, which is absolutely related to probabilities. 
And I think that's just something that we all probably need to get a little bit better on it. Well, at least I know I, I particularly do. Another observation I had was, well, not that I had actually, that Daniel um, wrote in the book was that overall, although humans aren't rational, we're not totally irrational either. And that's probably not the best way to think about it. Because if you read this book, you could sort of come out of it thinking, what's the point? I have no control over what's going into my decisions. Every action that I take is useless because people are priming me, people are doing different things. And even if other people aren't intentionally trying to to manipulate my decisions, they could be doing it uh, without intentional manipulation. And my own brain is going to sabotage me as well. So, it's like a trifecta, a quadfecta of, of all these different things coming down, hitting you and saying, yeah, you can't make your own decisions. But... That's probably not the best way to think about it as well because you do have control in certain things and you can try and fix a lot of these biases and there are ways of, of thinking about things and methods of, of thinking which are maybe not as egregious and so you do have a, a slight level of control of, of bringing the worst of those down. For me, uh, in I guess in summary of the book as well is that there was a lot of fun little tests that the author did at the start of each chapter, which proved to you that even though you sort of knew what was coming, you also didn't really know and you'd fall into the same traps and you'd just find yourself agreeing like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see how my brain goes to that automatic place as well. Uh, that being said, even though the start of the chapters would usually be strong, towards the end of some of the chapters, I would definitely find myself nodding off a bit, getting a little bit sleepy as it was just it'd get into the meat and the dry, the dryness of it would sort of uh, take away some of the interest. So, in summary, uh, I would say this would be a mind-blowing book if I hadn't heard most of it before. And this is probably actually due to the book and I think reading from blogs from different places. As I mentioned, a lot of different podcasts have talked about this book. So, obviously, other people have taken concepts from here and used it and then I've heard of it sort of secondhand. So, I think... This book was a real seminal book and his work that he did through the 70s to the 2000s was absolutely bang on and very, very useful and something that is worth considering for for most humans. Um, that being said, is is quite a long book, so be prepared to invest a, a fair chunk of time and it's quite small writing as well. I don't know if you can see on the on the video, quite small writing. That being said, it was uh, it was. It was very, very good. So, I'm giving it a solid 7.5 out of 10 thinking fast and slow. It's actually, yeah, thinking, comma, fast and slow. I always thought it was thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. What's something pragmatic I'm going to take from this? I think I will just try and keep a lookout for myself when I'm using probabilities and this is especially related to some of my financial investments in stocks and things like that where I might think I have a a rudimentary grasp on probabilities, but I should probably question those assumptions that I'm making and really do look into them a little bit deeper because if anything, this this book has just made me more aware that my own brain is, is very tricky and it makes silly decisions a lot of the time that make no sense. And if I looked at the motivations or reasons behind it, I would be absolutely appalled, but Hey, that's that's uh, that's what being a human is. That's what being a mere mortal is. So I hope you enjoyed this book review, people. More to come. 
of a deeper dive into some of the the questions it, it raises, either a solo episode from from myself or from Juan uh, with the both of us together. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Mere mortal, Kyron out.